we're going to need a Bible. You're going to need your app opened up, or if you've got an old-fashioned one with paper, I want to encourage you to open that up to 2 Kings. We're going to go to chapter 6. We're going to read 15. Say 15. 15 verses, okay? How long will this take? Okay, 15 verses. A brilliant story. It is an incredible story, one of my most favorite stories of all time, okay? And the Bible is full of them, and there is lots we're going to learn uh, from this today. And my title of my talk is To Blink Again, and it'll make sense in a moment, um, but I want to encourage you, I think the Spirit of God wants to encourage you to take a look at your life and then blink again, okay? And if you're ready to read the Word of God, give me a yee-haw. All right, okay, we've got, we got a country vibe going on, there we go, all right, so 2 Kings chapter 6, 8 to 23. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, and time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Isn't it good to have people in our lives to warn us of the dangers in life? Come on. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them Tell me which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us is, my lord, the king, said one of the officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> God hears what you say in your bedroom. <laughs> Silence, moving on. Okay, go find out where he is. The king ordered, so I can send men back and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded. Say surrounded. They surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, Elisha's servant, got up and he pulled back the curtains, he saw an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Verse 16, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, watch this. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Amen. Come on, somebody. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Blink again. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to a man you are looking for. But he led them into Samaria. And after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? He's excited. He's got a sword in his hand. He's ready to go. Shall I? Shall I? Oh, go on. Let me. Shall I? What will I do? And Elisha's going, chill. Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you've captured with your own sword or bow? 
set food and water, look at the grace before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they'd finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. What a great story. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just want to take a moment and we want to invite you to do your thing. And the only thing you do, Holy Spirit, is reveal Jesus to us. Whether it is through this word, the miraculous words of knowledge, the gift and the fruit of the Spirit, all you do, all of it compiles together to help us see Jesus in this moment. And so, Father, we pray today that you would Add in what you've already added into our lives and all of the words and the messages and the songs and the encouragement we've received from this conference. And Lord, you would then use this moment to build in all of that to free us and to release us and to give us vision to see what's really happening. That God, you would give us encouragement to learn how to blink again, to look at our lives with fresh perspective. And so, God, I pray that you'd give us the energy. I pray, God, you'd give us the ears to hear. You'd give us the the capacity to lean in to this moment. Because we know that when your word collides with your spirit, something that wasn't there before begins to take shape in our lives. And so, Father, we pray for those let there be moments in our own heart, in our own lives, in our relationships, in our church in our future, but especially in the moment that we're living in and going through, each of us today, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, have you ever taken a phone call and the result of that phone call resulted in your life changing a little bit forever? Yes. If you haven't had one of those phone calls, it's because you're probably under 20. But I tell you, when you get over 20, you're going to get a phone call or two like that in your life. I got one of those in January 2005. I was at work. I was a real estate agent. I was an estate agent. And uh, my wife called me at work. We had just discovered we were pregnant. Hallelujah. We've been trying forever. And it was taken taken ages and ages and ages to get pregnant. And I don't know if that's related, if anybody has that story, but it took forever. We became foster parents and, and so on. We, we kind of filled the gap in the meantime, but finally, woohoo, we were pregnant. And so Judith went off to the hospital to get a little scan. Something was kicking off and she wanted to get it looked at with a girl in our church at the time. She, was, she worked, I don't know what the word is, she was a shin of some description, well, a pediatrician, I don't know what they were, but anyway, she could work one of those wee machines, you know, the wee, the, sort of the hair gel, one of those kind of machines. And so she gets Judith on the thing, and she's on Judith's belly, and she's looking at the screen. I wasn't, I'm at work, she's looking at the screen, and uh, she leaves the room. Never a great moment, you know what I'm saying? You're like, well, what's, what's happening there? Anyway, she goes, she goes out, and then she brings somebody else back in. More stuff, more, more drilling about. What are we looking for? Next thing. Anyway, then they both leave the room, and then she comes back in. Judith's lying there, top up. Like, what's happening? Okay. Anyway, long story short, Judith goes home. I get a phone call. She says, you better come home. I says, well, I can't come home. You got, I'm at work. He says, you got to come home. I says, I can't go home. I'm at work. She says, come home. 
And I'm right, okay, well, that's three times lucky I go home. And of course, I'm driving the eight minutes home, and I, I don't know what I'm thinking, but I know it's not a free holiday to the south of France. And so I'm driving home, and I get to the house, and she goes, sit down. And I'm here, she goes more with the orders. What sort of day is this? She goes, sit down. I says, I'll stand. She says, you better take a seat. I says, I'll stand. She goes, sit. And so I sit. Okay. And I'm like, what is coming? She says, we're not having one baby. I went, yeah, twins. One each. One each. How cute is that? If I, I get me a boy and a girl. Oh, please. And she says, we're not having two. And so the pitch rises. Okay, well, it's going to be three. Well, it'll be busy, but glory to God. And then she said these words, guess again. <laughs> well, I'd covered one, two, and three. So the only way was up. And she said, we are having four babies. They found four heartbeats in my belly. And I'm like, well, it's your fault. <laughs> you can fix it. You can sort it. What? For? I just laughed. And then, do you know what she did? She's very smart. She made me a cup of coffee, and she slid across, I kid you not, a four-fingered Kit Kat across the table. <laughs> I'm like, you're having a laugh with me right now in this moment. And so we went to the doctors and went four, baby, we got our own consultant. You better believe we got our own consultant. They were, oh, I, can I be their consultant? This is brilliant. I'm like, I'm brilliant for you. And so we went for this consultant and every week we're getting da, 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 four thing. And then they were telling us it probably won't last to 12 weeks. It's so rare and it's, your body will reject. And you know, whatever nasty as that sounds and hear me, uh, you know what? It, you'll, you've got, it won't, you know, 12 weeks, you probably will be one, maybe two, whatever. 12 weeks, oh, they're all still there. And so the doctors then begin to say to us, look, this is high risk. This is a danger to the children, a danger to, to Judith. The chances of all these children coming out normally or at all is huge. It's the risks are enormous. And we have to give you some options. We're not, you know, they didn't tell us to do things one way or the other, but they were laying out some options. One of the options was a fetal reduction. What they would do is they would arrange for us to go to Liverpool or Manchester and we would have an abortion. We would have a fetal reduction and maybe take two of the little heartbeats away in that moment. And then it would give the other two more room and it's Judith's first pregnancy, the first four. <laughs> and I was an elder in the church at Cornerstone at the time, I wasn't the pastor then. I was the man of God full of faith. And I want to tell you, open arms, I want to tell you that for 10 days, we didn't think about it. But we did. You see, you never know what you'll think about until it happens to you. It's so easy to judge other people and the decisions they make without first having the empathy to stand in their shoes. And so when people come along in our life and maybe haven't made the decisions you've taken, you know what? We need to be empathetic and less judgmental and begin to take a moment and understand. I now understand why people make decisions and do the things they do. I may not love it and approve of it, but I get it. 
And so for 10 days and two weeks, I want to tell you that we didn't consult our family. Judah's father, an elder in the Presbyterian church his entire life, and asked him what he thought if we would take two away. I want to tell you that didn't happen, but it did. I want to be honest with you. But we come home one day, 10 days, 10, two weeks later. I don't know how small the babies, what kind of weak stage we were at at that moment in time, but we had finished a prayer meeting and we came home and I sat at the kitchen table one side from her and I took her hands and I said to her and she said to me, we kind of looked at each other and we said, we're going to have four babies. That we have to believe that if God started this, whatever way he's going to do it, he will finish this. So we phoned the doctors the next day. Oh, no. We're not the brave. We're not that brave. We don't deserve, no, we don't. We're not that brave. But we phoned the doctor the next day and said, we're, not, we're keeping them. We're going all the way, whatever all the way looks like. And so for week after week after week, we went for scan after scan. You know the little sort of pictures you get? With, you get a couple, a couple of little pictures. We got rolls, rolls, rolls of these things. You know what I mean? Ticker tape parades and, you know. They were changing them in the machines. There's the Somervilles load up the machine. Do you know what I'm saying? There they were. And they kept growing. Week, week, week 18, there they were, getting a little bit bigger in their own way. Week 20, there they were, getting bigger in their own way. Oh, I'm just thinking about it. Even I'm still shivering about the whole thing. And then week 22, they said to Judith, you know what? You, we need to get you off your feet. Because with all this extra weight, we don't want to force an emergency labor. So they put her on bed rest. They put her in Alton the Galvin Hospital. And so she's lying on bed rest with her feet up, you know. And so she's lying there, and, you know, I'm there peeling her grapes and so on and so forth, and that's awesome. And then we get maybe week 24, week 25, and it's, she's getting bigger, and a, a full-term quadruple pregnancy is 33 weeks max. That's as long as they reckon you'll have. So they're always going to be early. But they thought, well, week 25, week 26, you know, we're going to take you to the royal. That's the larger regional center in Belfast, the Royal Victoria Hospital. If anything goes wrong, at least week 24, it's, they call it viable. What an awful word, but they call it viable. And at least when you're now week 25, week 26, all the machines are there, the specialist people are there if anything would happen. So they moved her to the Royal and they put her on bed rest in the Royal. I was not home myself. And this is when it began to unravel for me emotionally. Again, I want to stand here and I want to tell you that as the man of God, that I parred in victory through this moment. But when Judith moved from Derry to Belfast, I began to have panic attacks and anxiety, and I wondered what on earth was happening. And I remember the first panic attack. I was walking through Marks and Spencer's in, in the Foyside Shopping Center, and I thought I was going to die. You ever had a panic attack? I thought I was, I couldn't breathe, chest, pain, like, oh, what has happened? What? I had no idea until I caught myself on. It got so bad to the stage where I would go to my parents' house. I remember going to a barbecue on a Sunday afternoon, and I was going down after that to see Judith. It was outside. The sun was shining, and they laid me. I, I, I lay down on one of the sort of folding back chairs. I didn't speak a word for five hours. I looked at a plane, got in the car, and drove off. I left the house. My sister burst into tears going, what? It, it got so bad, my dad phoned me. That's how bad. Ever get your dad phoning you asking how you are? I'm like, it must be bad if you're phoning me by glad. You know what I'm saying? My dad hardly says a word. It was incredible. That's where it started to unravel for me. 
And every day, everybody, when I got up, like Alicia's servant, when I rolled back the curtains, all I could see was a force greater than me surrounding my life. And what I want us to understand is that stories that threaten to bite you are stories that threaten your sight. Stories that threaten to bite are stories that threaten your sight. They cloud what you see. Alicia's servant has lost all sight of any other outcome other than destruction. He has lost sight of hope. He's lost sight of deliverance. He's lost sight of all the great stories he would know about Alicia. He is in this moment surrounded by a story that threatens to bite. And as a result, Alicia's servant has lost his sight. And I have to ask you today, in this moment, what is the story in your life, in your ministry, or in your church, or in your home, or in your world that is threatening to bite you? What is it? And I want to encourage you today. This is what this whole story is all about. It is about you recovering your sight in the middle of what surrounds you. Some of you are surrounded by financial biting things. Some of you are surrounded by stories about marriages and relationships, and they're so big and you're all-encompassing, it's all you can see. Some of you are surrounded by other things, betrayals and pain and so on. Some of you are surrounded by the thought of impending retirement, and it's all you can see. All I know is that in the moment you are going through, stories that threaten to bite are stories that try to remove your sight. Well, I want you to understand this, and this is my prayer today, that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the life of His Son, Jesus, that they will release together this heavenly eye-opener so that we leave this room with an understanding that our Savior is bigger than our story. That our Savior is bigger than our story, and that with God's help, we can take a look at whatever surrounds you and by faith, rub our eyes and blink again. Let me give you three things that will help you do this. Number one is this. I want to encourage you that in these moments, there is always more than meets the eye. Always more than meets the eye. A number of years ago, in, in, in Cornerstone, we had a, a thing that during the summer called I Heart Dairy, I Heart DY, and this was a huge missions week outreach effort that we did. As a result of that, a lot of teams from the U.S. would come in, and this one such team came in from Lincoln, Nebraska, okay, in the U.S., and uh, that, that church came time after time, year after year, and we kind of got friendly with those guys, and they'd have me over to speak, etc., etc., and I was over there a number of years ago, and I was going to do a youth talk for them when I got off the plane. A week before I went to Nebraska, I was praying at home about this youth talk, and I was putting it all together, and the name Tyler, okay, I just kept getting this name, Tyler, 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 Tyler. And, um, and I just thought, well, you know what? There's going to be someone in the congregation, a youth, somebody that's named Tyler that this message is for. doesn't happen to me often. So when it happens, wow, that's so good. Anyway, I get the talk. Tyler's in my mind. And, uh, and I get on the plane. I fly into Omaha, Nebraska. They pick me up there. I drive to Lincoln, straight into the church, straight into the youth talk. 
And if I'm honest, I forget all about Tyler. I'm just kind of, you know, you're, you know, jet lag, whatever. You're just off a plane into a talk. Tyler, no Tyler. I forget about Tyler. I'm there for a week. I don't even see Tyler on the Monday, the Tuesday, the Sunday, the Friday, whatever. No Tyler anywhere. I was imagining things. I preached at the church on Sunday. My flight to Chicago is on Sunday night. I preached there. Bruce, my friend, he's the, the youth pastor guy there that I know well, and him and I go off for lunch, and we go to the Olive Garden, and we have some food in there. Then he goes, do you want to go to the mall to get some presents? I goes, yeah, Bruce, let's go to the mall. And so we go to the mall, and in the mall, there's a cowboy store. A real cowboy store, right? Where you can go and get a cowboy hat and cowboy boots. Or I'd never seen a real cowboy. You don't go and buy a cowboy, okay? You buy cowboy stuff. And you can get leather stuff and guns and probably and hats and stuff. And I was, let's go to the cowboy store. Now, what I want you to know about Bruce is, Bruce is a kind of bright and shiny, friendly person, okay? He goes up to everybody and goes, hello, what's your name? I'm a friend you just don't know yet. That's him. He's not Irish, okay? He's clearly American. All right, so that's who he is. We understand who we are from Pastor Jamie. All right, so that's, we, 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 get, we get us. So that's Bruce. We go in. Now, bear in mind, this is the last the shop I'm in before the airport, right? We go into the cowboy shop. I'm looking at the boots going, I would look good in those. I'm trying on a Stetson going, ah, I'm in the wrong country. Absolutely, I look fantastic. And, uh, and this young fellow comes over, the shop assistant, tall guy, blonde hair, about 21 years of age. And Bruce walks over to me as this guy walks over to me. And we're all standing, the three of us together. And Bruce goes, he's all chatty, chatty, hello, I'm Bruce. This is my friend Brian. He's here from a church. Hey, bud, what's your name? Anybody want to guess? Tyler. Tyler. I kid you not, he said, Tyler, and I, magnets hit my foot. The ground turned to steel, and I could not move. I'm going, oh, no. You're the Tyler. And the Lord waited to the last shop of the last day, of the last minute, to bring me Tyler. Jason is a natural evangelist. Mm, not so much, Okay. I'm happier in a room of 200 people than I am with one, okay? I get awkward with one. This, easy, okay? Seriously, I'm wired the other way around. And I'm like, well, I can't go. Something is going to happen. Meanwhile, Bruce, he has no idea of the mental torture that I am now under. He goes off and damages. He's trying on boots. I don't know what he's trying on, a waistcoat, the Egypt. And anyway, he's... And, and then Tyler walks off. And I'm like, well, I can't leave the shop. I, I'm serious. I couldn't move. I could not move. I can't. And I goes, Tyler. And he's like, yeah, man. But he comes over. And I'm like, man, deep breath. Here goes. You're not going to believe this. But in Ireland last week, when I was praying to get ready to come over here and give a talk, the Lord gave me a, a message for you. And I began to give him this message. And then with our eyes open, we began to pray together in this store, in the cowboy shop. And when we said amen, my feet went back to normal, and I dandered out of there at full speed. I got to be honest. I got to be honest. All right. 
But as I was talking to, if I was talking to Tyler, Bruce, he was coming over, okay? Because he's all, woohoo, right? And he's coming over to me. And he hears me talking about the Lord to this guy, Tyler. I can see him getting visibly animated. He's like, whoa, do you see what's happening here? And I'm like, I'm going to smack you as well. And so we don't get out of here quickly. He gets all excited. Anyway, we're walking out. I'm running out. He's going, oh, and next week I'm coming back to see Tyler. And we're going to get him in church. I says, you can do what you like. <laughs> I am out of here. In that moment, everybody, this store was no longer an ordinary store that Bruce would have walked by a hundred times a week. By faith, Bruce was able to see something familiar to him in a new way. Because this wasn't the first time I'd heard about Tyler. A week ago, four and a half thousand miles ago, God spoke to me about him. And I shared that revelation with them in the shop. Faith was changing how Bruce saw the store. Faith was changing how Bruce, the guy with me, was seeing Tyler. Before that day, it was the cowboy store. But today, it was a staging ground for a move of God. That's what it was. You see, in our story, this wasn't the first time Elisha had seen chariots of fire. When Elisha was hanging out with Elijah, and when Elijah was carried up, what was he carried up in? Chariots of fire. So when he saw this in the hills around him, he wanted his servant to have the same revelation of God as he did. So when Elisha prayed for his servant, for God to open his eyes, he could see a new reality. Hills that were just hills were suddenly a staging ground for a move of God. And my point is this, that when I am surrounded, when I am overwhelmed, when I'm walking through Marks and Spencers in Foyleside and I feel the panic attack coming around me, what I want to do is turn to people who've had a revelation of God so powerful that it births enough faith in me to see my world in a brand new way. That's what I want. I want to get with people who've broken through what I'm walking through. I want to work with people and get people around me that can support, that can pray, that can build and bless so that enough faith rises within me. Men, we are awful at this. We don't talk about stuff because we're not meant to feel stuff. We've only got 700 words anyway. <laughs> You've got to use them wisely. Do you understand? But when we're all overwhelmed, when we are surrounded, I want to turn to people who've had a revelation of God that is greater than mine so that I can glean off their faith so I will get the breakthrough. Because how many people know that when you have see God moving a thing, you know God has authority over it. And when you know God has authority over it, I believe you've got authority in it. So if my marriage is surrounded, get me to a person who's been married for years. 
If my church is surrounded, get me to a pastor who's turned it around. If my health is surrounded, get me to a person who's been healed in the breakthrough. If I've been betrayed and I can't forgive, get me to a person. I don't want to go to another betrayed person. I don't want to go to another grumbler. I don't want to go to another gossip. I can't stay there. We can't stay there. My life's too short. I want to get to someone who can birth enough faith in me to help me get the breakthrough in Jesus' name. Jesus, when Jesus hit the planet, when Jesus, when Jesus arrived on the planet, he turned everything upside down. He gave us all new ways to see God. The minute he told the disciples to pray, Our Father, Abba, in Jewish culture, they couldn't even spell his name. And now here comes Jesus saying, You can call him Daddy. What? Seeing a familiar thing in a brand new way. The woman caught in adultery. Well, I'm not going to throw stones at you. Blind Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, the one they kicked so hard he had to climb a tree. Zacchaeus is the only man in all of the Gospels that Jesus looked up to. <laughs> Took him home, saved him, redeemed him, and set him free. Seeing the world in a new way. Simon, you will be called Peter. All the loaves, all the fishes, and the cross of Jesus Christ, the ultimate filter through which we look our life and see everything in a brand new way. My life, your life, the life of Kildare and the life of Dublin changed because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Come on, what has COVID done to your vision? What has COVID, how do you see the streets? How do you see your family? How do you see the community you live in and you are trying to reach? I want to encourage you today, get some faith. What's this conference about? It's about rising faith to see the same thing in a brand new way so you can reach it for Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 The second thing that I want to encourage you with is that seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. It was, oh, Monday afternoon, kids were small, primary school, I would be picking them up. Monday was the day off, typically in ministry, and uh, Daddy Dicker. Quadruplets, losing teeth. We had a ferry in our house, part-time payroll three days a week. <laughs> teeth flying everywhere. Another tooth, another pound. Ah, oh, it's costing me a fortune. Now it's driving lessons. They're 17 in June. And they all want to drive. Imagine. Anyway, Lucy, they would come to me to get the tooth out. Because it's payback, and I would take the tooth out. You know, I'd stand their chest. No, I wouldn't. And Lucy had a wobbly tooth, and it wouldn't come out. I had to wait. Anyway, so off the school she goes, and I'm at 3 o'clock, bell goes, out they come. Lucy, Lucy had a, like a school bag at the time, and it had one of those, you know, like, like a strap thing on it. But she came running out of the school with the strap around her head like that. You know they something to do that with the strap and the bag on, the, on, the, on her bum, on her backside? Running out, and as she's running out, the strap's falling down her face. Oh, you know where it's headed. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Straight into her mouth. Next thing, there's a scream. My tooth has come out. I'm like raging. I was meant to pull that out. And her tooth is out. Well, look, she held this tooth up in the middle of the playground. Everybody, the whole place goes slow motion. 
all her, like the FA Cup, when Arsenal keep winning the FA Cup, we lift it up. That's for Sean. And, uh, and there she has this tooth, and all her friends, oh, they crowd round her. I lost sight of her. I'm like, oh, that's another pound. Here we go. And then we have to wait for all this melee to calm down. And in the middle of all of this melee with the tooth, I hear this scream, and it's Lucy, and it's like, Daddy! Now, you know the difference between daddy and daddy, right? You, you kind of you hear the tone, and you know something's wrong. What had happened was the wound had started to bleed, blood coming out of her mouth. She's freaking out. It's my time to shine, people, though. <laughs> when your daughter calls your name and she needs you and you're distressed, I don't care who you are, what you do, you're moving it. I'm ripping the shirt off, Superman T-shirt. I'm throwing children out of my way. Get out of my way, lesser child. And I'm picking her up. And I mop her all down and I carry her home. Well, I don't. I carry her to the car. I'm not that good. And I put her in the car whether she wanted carried or not. She was getting carried. You know, I'm carrying her. Daddy moment for me. It was awesome. And I love this. And while Lucy couldn't see me in the middle of the crowd that surrounded her, hmm, but she knew I was there. And because she had an awareness of my presence, she knew she'd access to my power. Second Corinthians 32, Hezekiah surrounded by an army of Assyria. And in verse 78, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid of the king of Assyria and this vast, not an average army, but a vast army with him. And look at this, and I love this, for there is a greater power with us than with him. With him. What? Look, at you see it? Do you see it? With is, is the arm of flesh, but with us, with us. With us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. Hezekiah is surrounded by a, a human force that is greater than him, but he carries this unshakable awareness of God's presence. And the revelation of God's presence activates faith in God's power to overcome the surrounding army. There are times, everybody, when I'm like Hezekiah. And I've noticed that I'm a lot like Hezekiah when I'm encouraging other people. When they are surrounded. But when I got the call about my story, about quadruplets and bed rest, I found I was less like Hezekiah and more like the disciples. In Matthew 8, 23 to 27, then he got into the boat. The disciples followed him without a warning. A furious storm came on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Jesus is having a little nap. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? They'd never seen Jesus command the weather before. So they didn't believe to ask him to overcome it. I had never seen Jesus move through a quadruplet pregnancy before. So I immediately understood that it was too big for him. 
But I'm on the other side of that story, and I want to encourage you today that my Savior is bigger than my story. And even though you're in this side of it, you will see that your Savior is bigger than your story. And I want to encourage you today that if you can get a revelation of His presence, you can act activate faith in His power. John, in, in his first letter, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Paul reminds us of Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? We learned last night. Let's hit it again. 1 Samuel 17. David's waxing lyrical with Goliath. You, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come against you in the name. I come against you with a name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Watch this. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And watch this. I love this. As the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly into the battle line to meet him. How confident was David. He had access to his presence, so he knew he had access to his power. The God within David was bigger than the giant before David. And he overcame. And I want to encourage you today. God is with us. 